The asylums are filled with victims of witchcraft, made so by priests, lawyers, and doctors, who are all alike, and are the three great engines of Satan. Today's episode of History Obscura has been presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you and me to monetize our podcasts. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so we always know how much we're going to get when we include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Tell them History Obscura sent you. Hello and welcome to History Obscura, where dark and dirty secrets are dug up from our near and distant past and presented purely for your amusement. It may seem rather overdramatic in this day and age, but back not very long ago, criminals condemned to death often gratefully took the time granted them before they swung to share their thoughts. It was really the last freedom granted to them on this earth. Of course, there were those who took that time to decry their innocence, some repented and asked for forgiveness. Some spouted profanities at their executioners. And many did both. Once upon a time, Patrick Maud was executed at the jail in Newark shortly before 12 o'clock on January 13, 1860. The charge upon which he was convicted was the murder of his sister, Mrs. Mary Turbot, by shooting her with a pistol on the evening of Saturday, May 28, 1859. The circumstances of the murder were briefly these. In April of 1858, Maud, who had been employed on and off at the zinc works in Newark, and who was generally esteemed a desperate, quarrelsome, and revengeful character, was arrested for a felonious assault upon his wife, and also upon William O'Connell, an alleged paramour of his wife, both of whom he attempted to shoot with a pistol. He was tried and convicted of the offense, but his strange conduct during the trial raised doubts of his sanity, which were afterwards confirmed by the decision of a board of medical men who were appointed by the court to examine him. Without hesitation, they pronounced him insane. He was accordingly sent to the Insane Asylum at Trenton, where he remained until the night of the 26th of May, 1859, when he made his escape by removing a window in his room. Previous to, and during, his confinement in the asylum, he had frequently made threats against the prosecuting attorney and the judge who tried him, as well as against his wife, his sister, and others. 
On escaping from the institution, he left a note behind him indicating his purpose of carrying out these threats. He walked on foot to New Brunswick, and there took a boat to this city, where he purchased a pistol, powder, and ball, with which he immediately started for Newark. He concealed himself in that city until after dark of the evening of the 28th of May, when he proceeded to the residence of his sister, Mrs. Turbot, in Madison Street. He arrived there about nine o'clock in the evening and found his sister behind the counter in her husband's store. While she was in the act of pouring out some beer for a customer, Maud suddenly entered the store and fired two shots at her, both of which took effect in the breast, producing almost instant death. Maud was soon arrested and placed in prison, where he remained until his trial, which took place in October. On the trial, Maud refused the assistance of counsel and declared his determination to defend himself. The court, however, assigned C.L.C. Gifford and F.H.T.'s esquires as his counsel, and although they received for their kind offices nothing but interruption and abuse from their client, yet they continued their labors in his behalf throughout the trial, basing his defense on the ground of insanity. The prosecution was conducted by the Attorney General, Cortland Parker, and William L. Dayton, Esquire. Maud made a speech in his own behalf during the trial, in which he repudiated the defense of insanity, boldly denied his guilt, and made many telling points in his favor. The trial terminated by a verdict of guilty, and Maud was sentenced to be hung on the 5th of January. An application was afterwards made to the Court of Pardons for a commutation of his sentence, and Maud was reprieved for one week to await their decision. The application was unsuccessful, and the sentence was duly carried into effect. During his confinement in prison, Maud uniformly evinced the most hardened, reckless, brutal, and revengeful spirit. He invariably turned a deaf ear to all friendly advice, and has resented, with insult, all proffers of spiritual consolation. Only a few days before his hanging, he was visited by Governor Newell, whom he insulted in the grossest manner, and the very evening before his execution, he dashed a cup of water in the face of Father Doan, who called upon him to administer spiritual advice. Although there are many people in Newark who believe him to have been insane and therefore not a fit subject for the gallows, yet there is a general feeling of relief and satisfaction in the idea that they have been rid of a monster. Maud was an Irishman, 44 years of age, tall and powerful in his build, with dark hair, whiskers and mustache, and a countenance of more than ordinary intelligence. He was taken to the gallows at a few minutes past 11 o'clock. He was dressed in his ordinary clothes, 
consisting of an old black suit, much worn, check shirt and boots. He, having refused a new suit offered him by the sheriff. His arms were pinioned behind him, a white cap on his head, and the rope was around his neck. Having taken his position under the gallows, Sheriff Miller read the death warrant, to which Maud listened attentively. The sheriff then asked him if he had anything to say, when Maud, in a loud and clear voice, though in a somewhat hurried manner, spoke substantially as follows. You are now assembled here to witness an American crucifixion, though you call it an execution. I am a prisoner here, not by the law of the land, but by the police, by your popish priests, and by infernal witchcraft. I am a persecuted man, impelled on by the witchcraft of my damned family, and by the inquisition of Father Callan and Cortland Parker. Turbot's wife intended to destroy me, and she has done it. She was urged by the priests and the whole Romish church. What is this church? What is its history? I would like to tell you something about it if I had time. Maud here turned to the sheriffs and asked if he would allow him time. The sheriff replied in the affirmative. So he continued. I am no fool, idiot, or maniac and I will show you I have read some, both history and poetry. I've read Plutarch, and all about Romulus and Remus, and Alexander and Julius Caesar, and the greatest man of all, Diogenes, and also Charlemagne. In the time of Julius Caesar, Rome was the greatest empire on the face of the earth, and her greatness continued for 300 years when she submitted to popery and went to ruin. And that's just what you're doing here, and you'll all go the same way. He then proceeded to speak of the different Bibles that had been made since the reign of Popery, one during the time of Charlemagne, another at the Council of Trent, another at Nice, another by reformers Luther and Calvin, another by Henry VIII, etc., etc., making six in all, and all of them different. In 1512, the reformers were driven by witchcraft to madness, and I am driven on by the same thing to the gallows. Now why am I here? A chattering priest named Callan, with his infernal witchcraft, brought me here. The ministers have come round me since I've been up here. One German patriarch, about 90 years old, said to me, God help you, you be a martyr. There's no God's Bible among you now. After the Reformation, England improved. She was great then. The people were comfortable, a man got twelve shillings a week, and he had a good place to live in and was happy. But she's fallen since. They're all doctors, lawyers, and priests now, and the poor man has nothing. Poor houses, hospitals, and jails... The necromancers got in and destroyed the farmer and the laborer, aided by the doctors, lawyers, and priests. And it's the same thing here. You're all going to destruction. 
At this point, there was a great noise, with shouts and laughter from the crowd outside the jail. But Maud continued. Come up here, Bishop Hughes. Come up here, Henry Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. And if there's anyone here from Kentucky, let him come up here, and I will count his slaves for him. Jersey and New York are free states. Let me compare them with Kentucky, and I'll find more slaves in the prisons and asylums than Kentucky has. The asylums are filled with victims of witchcraft, made so by priests, lawyers, and doctors, who are all alike, and are the three great engines of Satan. There's Ward's Island and Blackwell's Island, full of slaves, and there's the insane asylums, another branch of slavery where you are deprived of what reason you had when you entered them. A third branch of slavery is the running away of Negroes by Beecher and the abolitionists. They send the poor devils to Liberia where they starve out and die. Come on, damned necromancers, come on. You can gain but little by executing me. Let no one say I'm a lunatic. Those asylums are full of witchcraft. I won't blame the women much, as they're destroyed in early life. Priests ruin them and get the doctors to procure abortion. I advise you all to leave this country. Every man in America wants an office. I tell you it is all done by witchcraft and the priests. When a thief comes here, he's treated like a gentleman. But an honest man, driven to desperation by an abandoned woman is strung up like a dog. I was driven to the gallows by witchcraft through my damned family. Charlie Gitford perjured himself and told the jury to convict me. They thought they smashed my figurehead when they sent me to the asylum, but I escaped. They caught me and now have raked my hull. But I prefer death to being confined in jail. Life and liberty are of no use to me. I was hunted like a wild beast, and no man on earth can say I injured him, though I was 13 years in England and going on 13 in America. I've injured no one. I have faith in God. I ask Almighty God to look on my misery and what I am going to suffer. The miserable wretch here closed his incoherent harangue with the following horrible Invocation. Almighty God, look down on me and see what I suffer and forgive me. O God of justice, take vengeance on my damned family, who bewitched me. Jesus Christ, look down from heaven and see how they murder people in asylums and witness the abortions of the doctors, and may the vengeance of an all-just, wise, and powerful God fall upon them all. Poole was a damned villain, for he robbed me of my property in Broad Street. But he's now in hell, for he died a raving maniac. This country will be destroyed as were Jerusalem, Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, and Gomorrah. Turbot's wife told me she would stay with me even if I killed her, and so she did. For I heard her voice first thing this morning saying, I have you now. May God Almighty have mercy on my soul. 
At the close of the speech, which occupied exactly 30 minutes, the sheriff drew a cap over Maud's face, adjusted the rope, touched the treadle, and in an instant the weights fell, and the unfortunate man was jerked high in the air. There was no perceptible motion of the body, except a relaxation of the muscles and a slight quivering of the legs. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to History Obscura wherever you listen to podcasts, and do take a minute to give us a nice review on Apple if that's what you use. Don't forget to follow us on Patreon or buymeacoffee.com for daily readings of historical fiction plus monthly bedtime stories. Good night! (laughs) 